I invite you to join me in 1 Samuel 16, if you're not there already. 1 Samuel 16, as we continue our series, looking at the life of David. And this evening we'll see David, the king in training. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening we rejoice that our hope is not in an earthly king, but we rejoice that you are God, that you are king. We rejoice and your sovereign rule, your provident care for each and every one of us. A care that often goes unnoticed. And yet one day we will look back and rejoice at all that you have done. So Heavenly Father, in this hour, give us wisdom. Give us ears to hear. Work in our hearts. Encourage us. Challenge us. Change us. For your glory. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start with a famous poem. It's called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, Somewhere, ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. As we come to 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 to 23, we see two men on two very different paths. And what we will see is that it does indeed make all the difference. As we work our way through this passage, one of the things that you will notice is that even though God is more in the background, he is no less at work in verses 14 to 23 than he was in verses 1 to 13. You see, in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13, God is really in the foreground. God gives direct instruction to Samuel Go here, say this. And then as Samuel is standing there and he's looking at these sons of Jesse, God speaking to him says, not that one, 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 that one. God is very much in the foreground. You know, as we come to 1 Samuel verses, chapter 16, verses 14 to 23, God is much more in the background and yet he is just as much at work moving all of these pieces and these people for his purposes according to his divine plan. And so as we work our way through this passage, we will see the circumstance and we'll see the solution. And behind all of it, 
we will see God. The first thing we see is a circumstance in verses 14 to 16. Something happens. We don't know how much time has passed from verses 1 to 13, but there is a connection between verses 13 to 14. See, in verse 13 of chapter uh, 16 of 1 Samuel, it says this, And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Samuel rose and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. As you come to verse 14 then, this is what we see. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. There's a change here. There's a connection. As the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David, this man that God has set apart for his purposes to be king, so it leaves the one who's currently serving as king. I think it's good for us to kind of pause here and go on a short little tangent on the Holy Spirit's role in the Old Testament. What's going on here? How is it that the Holy Spirit can leave Saul? Can the Holy Spirit leave me? The answer to that question is no. See, in the Old Testament, we do not find in the pages of Scripture the Holy Spirit indwelling people as we find in the New Testament. In fact, what we see in the Old Testament is the role of the Holy Spirit is to empower people for special service. In fact, you see that several times all throughout the Old Testament. In Numbers 27.18 and Deuteronomy 34.9, Joshua is filled with the Holy Spirit to, to help with leadership skills and wisdom. Uniquely equipped by God as the Holy Spirit comes upon him to do the task that God has called Joshua to do. There's different judges where the Lord comes upon and the Spirit comes upon them to fulfill their ministry. Othniel in Judges 3.10, Gideon in Judges 6.34, Jephthah in Judges 11.29, and Samson in Judges 13.25, 14, 6, and 19, and 15.14. The Spirit comes upon these men to equip them, to give them the power to do what they are called to do. We then see with Saul in 1 Samuel 11.6, as the Lord fills him to equip him as king to do the task that God has called him to. And yet here, 1 Samuel 16.13, the Spirit comes upon David. And now in verse 14, it leaves Saul. We also see Bezalel, in Exodus 31.3 and 35.31, uniquely equipped with artistic skill for the work of the tabernacle and the furniture that goes inside of it. In fact, he's even equipped with the skill to teach others how to do that. And so that's just a quick snapshot of what we see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit empowering people for special service. But you see, Saul has chosen to do things his own way. He's no longer submitting to the Lord. And so the Spirit has left him. 
God has found another man to do this task. And as the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the future king, it departs from the present king. This is not the first time that we see something like this, a departing of the Spirit from one that the Lord has equipped. The Lord also leaves Samson. The Spirit of the Lord leaves Samson in Judges 16.20 as his hair is cut. And what you'll see as we work our way through this passage in, in, in 1 Samuel 16 and following is that the result for Saul is just as devastating as it was for Samson. You cannot do what the Lord has called you to without the equipping of the Spirit. So the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. And this is really the, the setting as we turn our attention to this passage. We talked last time we were in here about what, what has led to this whole circumstances and, and Saul's sin. Several times where he has failed the Lord, where he has taken things into his own hand rather than submitting to the Lord. So the Lord sends Samuel to anoint a new king. And that's what we saw last week. This young shepherd boy out in the fields. David from the family of Jesse. So he has been anointed and the spirit of the Lord has come upon David. It's departed from Saul. But there's an interesting phrase here in verse 14. Not only has the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, but a distressing spirit from the Lord troubles him. Some of your versions might say evil spirit. The idea is probably best phrased distressing, a troubling spirit. It's kind of a difficult passage to wrap our minds around. How can a distressing spirit come from the Lord? That kind of goes against our idea of God being good. This doesn't make sense. God is not the author of evil. How can this be? God is not the author of evil. And really what we probably have here is that Saul no longer benefiting from divine enablement is rather suffering divine judgment. Whatever this spirit is, it is probably not a, a demon, it is probably something sent from the Lord, as the, it is, as the passage tells us, a spirit from the Lord. And Saul here is suffering from divine judgment. And it's important for us to remember at this point that Saul's state is Saul's fault. It is Saul who has chosen to disobey. It is Saul who has opened him up, himself up to this. In fact, one commentator notes that this is the only time in the Old Testament that an individual is said to be tormented by a troubling spirit. There's something that is unique going on here. As unique as the filling to accomplish the task of king by the Lord's spirit is, so is this distressing spirit that is sent from the Lord. It is from the Lord, and it is accomplishing God's purpose. 
And really, when you come to a passage like this where you're kind of scratching your head and you can't make it all fit together, sometimes we just have to submit to the fact that God is good and God is in control. And we don't understand this, but those are truths that we know to be true. God is not the author of evil. And so we may not be able to wrap our mind about everything that the author is getting at here, but one thing that we do know is there is something that is going on inside of Saul. And it is sent by God, and it is accomplishing God's purpose, as we'll see in the rest of this passage. Whatever's going on here, Saul's servants recognize it, and they say to him, surely a distressing, a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. It's remarkable that they really, they nail it. There must be something distinct about this that stands out. God's spirit has left. And whatever this is that is happening in Saul, it is from God. One of the things you'll note throughout this entire passage is God at work in the background. And I think one of the ways we see that is right here with the the wise men that the Lord has put around Saul. They recognize what is going on. And they are the ones through whom the answer comes. In fact, I think a passage like this gives us a clue, kind of a picture, into everyday life in the Old Testament. Esther is a book like that. Esther is a book where where God's not at work out front doing all these big miracles and speaking, but he's just as much at work as he is in every other book. But I think we tend to think of the Old Testament in terms of like the Exodus, where, where it is normal occurrence for God to be doing all these big works. In reality, what is normal is a lot more like Esther. It's a lot more like 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23 where God is at work accomplishing his purpose through everyday people and everyday circumstances. And so God has these men, these men surrounding Saul, these wise men. They recognize that what is going on is from God. It is troubling Saul. And so their answer, let our master now command your servants, we are before you, to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp, And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. Their solution is to find someone who's a skilled musician. I think it's important for us to pause there and to recognize the power of music. Music is powerful. It affects the emotions. It impacts us. And they knew that very well back in this day. And these wise men the Lord has put around Saul recognize this. And note in verse 17, as we move on from the circumstance of this the spirit who's departed from Saul and this evil spirit or this distressing spirit that has come upon Saul, in their solution, in verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well. Bring him to me. And here's the remarkable part in verse 18. One of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skilled in playing, a mighty man of valor. 
valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Not only has God put people around Saul who recognize what is going on, but God has put those around Saul who have seen David playing. Note God's sovereign hand in all of this. What are the chances that one of those few men in that court had come across David? had heard of this shepherd boy playing. The chances are high because God is at work. Saul's distressing spirit and David's skill in this instrument are what God uses to introduce David to the king's court. It's also interesting for us to note how the Lord uses gifts and abilities that he gives. See, David did not just wake up a skilled musician. It took years of practice. And God was behind every hour of practice just as he was behind the first time that David picked up that instrument because God knew that he had a plan. He was preparing David. Apparently his fame has begun to spread. These men are aware of who he is. He's a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He's skillful in playing. A mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech. He is skilled, he is brave, he is wise and well-spoken, even as a young man. He's a good-looking, handsome person. And really, this is where this is where I was talking about these two men going on two paths. This is really where that kind of diverges, and then we'll see them go their separate ways. You have Saul and you have David. And the circumstance in this passage is that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. And the irony in this passage is that the one who comforts Saul As the end of this passage says, the Lord is with him. That's what we will go on to see as you continue from from this point forward. These two paths that, that diverge and go separate ways. And what makes all the difference is that the Lord is with David. The Lord is with him. From this point forward, David will rise and Saul will fall. And we will watch as their paths cross time and time again. In fact, in this passage, the Lord kind of knits them together. They're uniquely connected. The Lord is with David. In fact, I would submit to you that all of these things, his skillfulness in playing, his braveness, his wisdom, and his well-spoken nature, all of this is tied to the fact that the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. 
He has uniquely equipped David for what he has called David to. Not just to be king one day, but even to be armor bearer today for Saul. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. The Lord brings them together, a connection that will follow the rest of Saul's life. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but wonder what's going through Jesse's mind in all of this. I don't know how much time has passed between the first 13 verses to these verses and verses 14 and following. But why all of this sudden attention? Jesse must be thinking this. What, what is going on? We don't know how much Jesse understood when Samuel was anointing David. Maybe he thought that he was just preparing him to serve the king, and, and so this is a part of that. But how he must have marveled at what God was doing. How he must have marveled. My son, from out in the field watching sheep, now called by the king to his court. How can this be? Because God is at work. Verse 22. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. As we come to this passage, under these unique circumstances, by God's divine hand, David is placed in the court of the king. A place that David will go on to serve. And yet here what we find is, is even as he is serving as the king's armor bearer, the Lord has put him in a place to learn, to grow, to be prepared. He has the opportunity to observe to understand the, the language of the court. To learn all the different customs. To observe what works and what doesn't work. Here's a front row to unwise decisions. The Lord in the unlikeliest of circumstances, has taken a shepherd and put him in the king's court. He is preparing him. He is training him for what he has called him to do. And all of this is God's doing for God's purpose to God's glory. It's a simple passage. As David is taken from the field and he's placed in the king's court. 
And it's really a passage that here in 1 Samuel 16 serves both his anointing in the first 13 verses and his placement now in the king's courts serves to kind of close out this introduction to David. God has chosen his man, he's equipped his man, and he's placed him right in the center of things where he can grow and he can learn. But what does a passage like this have to say for any of us? I doubt that you will ever be called to be an armor bearer for a king. But I don't think this passage is about being an armor bearer for a king. This passage is about the provident hand of God that is at work accomplishing his purpose. Even in the mundane things, God is accomplishing his purpose. God is preparing David for something. God is preparing you for the things that he has ahead of you. You have no idea what that is. You don't know what that's going to look like. But what you can know is that God is preparing you for it. That your God, your powerful, your sovereign God is at work in you for your good and for his glory. And even the smallest things, the quiet providence of God is at work. I think a passage like this is an encouragement to us. It's a reminder of our good God. It's a reminder of his work in our lives. Even the mundane things, he's accomplishing his purpose. He's preparing. He's moving. A passage like this is cause for rejoicing. It's cause for encouragement. It's cause for submitting to God's plan. To recognizing that where he has you right now is where he wants you right now. And he is at work in you. Trust him. Rest in him. And be encouraged. We're going to close this evening with singing a song we just sang earlier. Rejoice, the Lord is King. I think it's a good reminder, even as we close this introduction to David, for us to rejoice. Rejoice because your God, the Lord, is King. Let's stand together and we'll close by singing number 43, Rejoice the Lord is King.